What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 183 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell coming at you on a beautiful, sunny, hot Friday afternoon. How are you going, my bro? I'm good. That's a lot of content, 183. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of episodes. We're getting up there. I was just thinking about it today, actually, that, you know, it's 2024. Like, we're literally in our fourth year of the podcast now. So, obviously, we'll celebrate our fourth birthday in August. And I was thinking about, like, that's a real achievement. And the the main thing that made me think about it was um, uh, we've had a reel go viral on Instagram, which I posted yesterday. And I finally, for the first time, know what it feels like to be a hot chick on Instagram. It's exhausting. Like, (laughs) So I have had to turn off notifications on my phone because it's just constant likes, comments, shares, messages, like constant, constant, constant. So, Is that you going back saying I have a boyfriend? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I, I want, I want the, uh, the thirsties. Yeah, but um, so as of now, it's at like two hundred and forty thousand views. Uh, we've picked up over a hundred new followers from it, and wow. I think it all just comes down to uh, the censorship being lifted on COVID-based subjects by Meta, and now we're actually starting to experience some of the like regular virality that a lot of other pages receive when they talk about certain subjects which are popular in the media at the time so i was yeah when when that happened like we picked up all these followers and hey if any of those followers are watching this show maybe this is your first time welcome happy to have you here and hopefully we can start building a bit more of an audience because i think i really do think it's an achievement for us to have stuck around for 103 episodes week in week out for three and a half years now when we were literally completely up against the censorship industrial complex. Like, most people don't like sticking to things for this long when they're going well. Like, we, yeah. we've literally had to navigate, you know, uh, starting to build an audience primarily on YouTube and then bang censorship, shadow banning, that's starting to go downhill and, and going from averaging sort of 100 to 150 views per episode down to 15 views per episode on YouTube where even they, they wouldn't even show you to the subscribers. And then we had a similar thing on Instagram where you'd start building up some followers and then bang, shadow banned and like literally none of your content even gets shown to your own followers, let, let alone people outside of your followers. So it, it's funny because I, like a, someone that we know and I won't call him out, uh, said, oh, and has a big following, naturally was going to, said, yeah, I'm going to start a podcast. Did too. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I think that is pretty common. You know, mm. I think a lot of like podcasting, it sounds like it's easy because it's just a conversation. But as you and I know, as people who worked in sales for as long as we did, most people don't know how to have a conversation or at least an interesting one. Like most people talk about surface, surface level, uh, you know, very shallow topics whether it's gossip or celebrities or whatever and they can't actually hold a real conversation for this length of time it's hard to certain, yeah there's also art forms on you know making sure there's no dead space and having the uh the right sort of um, interaction in terms of like content with the other content that we bring into it and yep. yeah there's a bit of thought like we we work on it basically all week then jason does all this amazing work after we record this where he'll go and make the thumbnails he does the editing to, to get it up so it's it's not a it's not an easy thing to do and yeah I, I i'm definitely proud of us for, for getting this far i think they say on average it takes seven years to get it to get a podcast to be like um 
to have a decent size following like i guess like a main not mainstream but mainstream for podcasting standards type following yeah yeah so we're halfway there oh we're halfway there are we living on a prayer we'll find no, we're out currently eating on a prayer we're not getting any money for it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. um so today's show guys we're going to go back to one of our favorite subjects which is COVID and the pandemic because there have been a lot of positive updates uh in that space for people on our side of the equation um, Sorry, I wish I, I wish we had a soundboard right then because then I would have hit that. Shots, 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 shots. <laughs> That's all we were talking about that, right? We did speak this week. Sorry to derail you, but we That's did right. speak it like when we in terms of like upgrades that we're gonna do to the show, we're gonna up, we wanna upgrade the camera quality. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason's probably gonna need some more hardware to uh, better facilitate the editing side. Um, I'd love a soundboard. I'd yeah. love a soundboard. I want oh, another thing I want. I want an intro song. Right. Yep. But I don't know what style of music it would be. That's a tricky one because you want it to be a style of music which we enjoy, which is sort of like this is our personality expressed in musical form. Lip Biscuit. <laughs> yeah, break stuff. There you go. Let's let's just yeah. call up Fred and go, hey Fred, can we use your song yeah. for free? Hook us up the Durst. And I'm sure he will just tell us to go away. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, an intro song would be great. Uh although that's a that's a dicey one as well too. That is a dicey thing. Maybe. We'll see what happens. Well, but we do no, want to do what I want in an ideal world, I want someone to make a piece of music from so- like someone in our community that knows us. And I want someone to make something that 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 because I'm not that creative. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think you're that creative either. Not musically, but, no. But there there'll be people who listen to the show that will be like, oh, I think, I think I know who these guys are, and this is what when I think of them, this is what I think of. Mm-hmm. I think this would really complement the show. Yep. And um, yeah. F- funnily enough, I, we've had an offer before from a, a listener to create a piece of music, and I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, by all means, and there's just no follow through. So oh. <laughs> if they're listening. Have another crack. Let's go. All right. So let's get into the show. So we're going to be talking about uh, COVID primarily around vaccines and updates in that space because a few interesting things have occurred in the last few weeks. Um, ironically, the the reel that I posted on Instagram, which went viral, was uh, the CEO of Moderna, Stefan Bansell, who was recently speaking at the World Economic Forum Summit, and he was explaining to all the people in the room about how disappointed he was because his company is currently in the uh, process of throwing 30 million doses of Moderna vaccine in the bin because nobody wants them. And he was talking about how they've got marketing teams calling governments all around the world trying to offload these things and literally no one wants them so they're going to be throwing them in the bin. And the interesting uh, point he made in that clip too was between them and Pfizer... They've actually, so back in 2021, there was a production issue where they couldn't actually produce enough mRNA doses. Now, because of all the manufacturing plants they've built all around the world, between those two companies, they have the the capability to produce 7 billion doses of mRNA vaccines per year. Now, he also explains that China has said, eh, Absolutely no mRNA vaccine. So any of you might recall, they have not taken a single mRNA dose in China. Uh, so if you remove the like Chinese population, which is roughly a billion people, that means 
that those two companies have enough production capacity to make a dose per person on the planet, excluding China, every single year. That was their business model. So to hear that they now already have to throw 30 million unwanted doses in the bin, it just, it warms my heart instead of inflating it. So, Do you think they've, in board meetings, discussed what river they're going to dump them into? Because we're going to pay for them. Let's be honest. The government is going to pay for these these vaccines. They're going to try and push them onto the childhood um, the vaccine schedule. Yeah, the vaccine yeah. schedule, and then the excess they're just going to dump in a river. So I wonder which river it's going to be. Yeah, that'll that'll remain to be seen, won't it? I'm sure yeah, it'll be it, a... it might be it might be the uh, mRNA Darling Basin. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. They'll dump it in the river in somewhere in Africa amongst the like most least vaccinated countries just to try to get it into as many people as they can. Yeah. But um, anyway, moving on from that, there was a, a story I originally saw reported by Rebecca Barnett from Dystopian Down Under. I have uh, then seen it uh, re- reported into mainstream, me- uh, mainstream news outlets. Jeez, I'll get the words out there eventually told you that this podcasting thing isn't as easy as we make it look um around a worker for the department of child protection in south australia who has just won his court case now if you can just bring that article up for me please Uh alex all right so here we go uh, landmark COVID vaccine injury win and this was reported by Rebecca Barnett on the 30th of January 2024 the can department- I just say she's killing it yeah Rebecca absolutely she's killing it she's doing all the like actual see we, we only sort of we're like a um, uh, an aggregator of like we pick up a bunch of the news and then sort of aggregate it into one spot so yeah. that you guys don't have to do the digging mm-hmm. but she's doing the hard work like she's 100%. she's a really good reporter yeah and she's all over literally every single one of these subjects and yeah. doing the deep dives doing the research because it's what i find interesting about her you can tell she actually is a real journalist because she will have to and fro's with people on twitter or x for example <laughs> where she brings receipts so she'll get into an argument or she'll make a point and you're like okay, this is someone who's clearly actually immersed in the subject for her to understand, to be able to say those things to that person. Whereas on the flip side, you look at literally any mainstream media reporter, like... Comments off. Yeah, well, well, I mean, not even just that. Like, the reporting itself, they clearly don't actually research these subjects themselves. They just get sent a copy from up high, get sent to every single one of these media organisations... They probably run it through ChatGPT going, hey, change the adjectives in this story, and then they read it out in front of a camera, and that's all it is. It's not actual journalism. So let's go through the article. The Department of Child Protection, DCP, must pay compensation and medical expenses to a youth worker who developed pericarditis after getting a COVID booster under a workplace vaccination directive the South Australian Employment Tribunal has ruled. In a decision handed down on the 15th of January 2024, the tribunal determined that Daniel Shepard's employment was a, in quotes, a significant contributing cause, end quote, to his injury, which has since rendered him incapable of performing his role at work. Shepard got a COVID booster in February 2022. So I just want to note that the issue began in February 2022. The, tr- the decision's only been handed down two years later. So this is how long this person has been fighting for justice, and I'm sure it'll be appealed and will probably take another 12 months from here. But anyway, yep. um, 
Shepard got a COVID booster in February 2022 as a requirement for his ongoing employment with the DCP. The DCP admitted that Shepard's pericarditis had been caused by the booster, but denied responsibility for the injury, arguing that it did not arise from Shepard's employment, but from a lawful state government public health order, or PHO, issued under the Emergency Management Act of 2004. However, the tribunal rejected the DCP's argument deciding that because the injury arose as a result of both the state-directed vaccination mandate and his employment, Mr. Shepard was entitled to workers' compensation. In quotes, this is a good decision, says human rights lawyer Peter Pham of Sydney law firm Matt's Method, noting that it sets an important precedent for holding employers accountable for injuries incurred as a result of vaccination directives enforced in the workplace. In quotes, the most uh, significant aspect of this case, in my opinion, is that even though there was a public health order in place, the tribunal found the employer responsible anyway, end quote. Now, for any of you long-time listeners, this is exactly what we said was going to happen. So when yep. we were speaking about these vaccine mandates, when they came in late 2021 and early 2022, the thing that we were at pains to, to throw out there and at the time, we understand that it was a difficult thing to believe because of the messaging you were getting from the government, was that everything the government was saying was designed to give them the a get-out-of-jail-free card. So you had the states enforcing all of these mandates. Now, at the same time, you had Scott Morrison, who was the Prime Minister at the time, constantly coming out saying, there's no federal mandate, there's no federal mandate, there's no federal mandate. Like, literally ad nauseum. So everyone knew that... that States were coercing employers and just everyone else to get these vaccines without, without saying it in a way that would give them any form of liability. So we warned employers at the time. We said, do not force your employees to get these vaccines because you will be held liable. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And this is the first case of its kind that has been approved. And... There we go. There's, there's no way, there's no way that it can't be, they can't be held liable. There's no way that this stands up because they told you to do it. It's like, That's right. I made this, I wanted to make this crazy analogy. Imagine if someone said, you can't keep your job here unless you get a big, juicy, fake set of titties, <laughs> right? That's crazy to hear. No, That's I'd, madness. I'd do that. Right? I could be coerced into that. No, but... That's, that's what happened. They, they said, you cannot, we're going to change your contract. Your contract now says, never said it before, now says yeah. the only way that you can continue this, your employment here at this place is if you take this injection. Yeah. That's it. Now, if, it, um, the rebuttal has always been, oh, it, uh, and I've heard fucking idiots on the street say, oh, no, everyone had a choice. Yeah. But the choice cannot be keep your employment or get an injection. It, That's that right. cannot be legal. That's right. It's not. That's not choice. Yeah, it, it is not legal. And it, again... It's, all, it was clear as day to us. Like that's we, right. We're not geniuses. We, we just like... It's so clear. It's so obvious. And someone's going to be held accountable. And we said it's not going to be the government because no one gives a fuck, yeah. right? And it's not going to be uh, uh, the, the health bureaucrats... They've committed all the crimes in the world. Nothing's going to happen to them. Yep. What's going to happen is the the people directly in line to the injured people. They're the ones that are going to get done. Mm. And that's employers. And if anyone's surprised about this, you shouldn't be. Because as we discussed at the time, 
this entire vaccine mandate was a breach of the Nuremberg Code. Mm-hmm. So for any of you who don't know what the Nuremberg Code is, it was decided on uh, amongst a whole bunch of countries after World War Two, Because, yes, when everyone thinks about World War Two and why the West went to war with the Nazis, and really why the Russians won the war before the American got there, uh, yes, it was because of the Holocaust, and that was terrible. But the things that people forget about with the Nazis was they experimented on people a lot. Mm. That was like one of their big things. And there's so many stories about... Operation Paperclip, which was the American government taking some of the head German scientists after the war to America. Nazi scientists. Nazi scientists ended up getting high-ranking positions at NASA, all those sorts of things, because the Germans were pretty technologically advanced. So part of the Nuremberg Code was that that created all of these things around informed consent. So informed consent is the big one. Informed consent means that you must be completely 100% informed about what the drug is, what the side effects may be, what information we don't know about it. Like every single bit of information that could possibly be known about that drug is supposed to be given to you in a, in a, a length of time that is appropriate for you to be able to read and understand all of that information before the drug can even be administered. And, that, and you still need to consent to it after seeing all that information. So clearly, yeah. oh, and before you before we continue, clearly, the vaccine mandates were a clear violation of the Nuremberg Code statutes on informed consent. We could see that as clear as day, which is why we warned employees at the time: by enforcing these mandates in your businesses, you are violating the Nuremberg Code. And the second point about Nuremberg, which is very important, is that when the Nuremberg trials occurred. There was a whole bunch of people, journalists, medical practitioners, police, that were hung because the defense of I was just following orders was not sufficient. So if you were just following orders back in Nazi Germany and you perpetuated these atrocities on people, just because you were told to do so was not a good enough excuse to get out of punishment and you were hung anyway. These employers were just following orders and now we're about to see the next phase of this campaign. Now, I know what... So Jason illustrated where you had ScoMo saying on a daily basis there's no federal mandate. Then you had states... Like, we, we had the... Uh, what's that stupid meeting they have every week? Um, National, National Cabinet. Cabinet. Yeah. So National Cabinet is that secret meeting that the feds and the um, state governments had. They were clearly in collusion um, where they said federal saying we're not doing it states saying we're not doing either but we're just going to help businesses do it yeah which to us as salespeople goes okay so they've built the narrative that it's going to be your fault yep you're going to do it yeah we'll help i guess oh no but we're not helping with that that's like that's on you dude you do that's that. right but and i know the weakest part of it because i got one one of my mates who went to get vaccinated i said send me a picture of the document they get you to sign Mm. and the first line says this is your choice to get this yeah right but it can't be your choice to get it if the government and your employer has told you that you have to do it that's right to 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 uh stay in this society yeah it was never ever gonna fly 
Yeah. And one of the other interesting things that happened during the pandemic was all of the protests. And I remember the story, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but there was a police officer who was essentially kicked out of the force for standing up against mandates and... Uh, it wasn't just mandates, it was refusing the orders of a superior to like arrest people who didn't have masks on and those sorts right. of things. And one of the things that, that he mentioned all the time was that in the police force, you have the right to deny an unlawful order. Yeah. So that was one of the, the key stipulations of his case was he was like, no, these orders you were giving are unlawful. I don't care that you've created this state of emergency situation where you think everyone else's individual rights go out the window because if in any other period of time without the state of emergency, these actions would be unlawful. So he refused them and got kicked out. Now, how many people are in the same boat? So this, this case is super interesting because this will set the precedent. And I actually think that the fact that it, it has happened against a government employer is probably one of the best cases. Because yes, like sure. what you said, number one, all of the key government decision makers which enforce these mandates, they're already gone. Yep. So they got sweetheart jobs somewhere else. Exactly. They're killing it. They're loving it. So if they were still sticking around, they might go, nah, you've got to appeal this thing because we need to cover our asses. But they're not there anymore. They don't care. The second thing is, at the end of the day, it's going to be taxpayer money that, uh, that compensates this guy anyway. So I think they're more likely to pay. And then once they pay, well, this is a very massive legal precedent. And if I'm a lawyer, I'm just sniffing the blood in the water. I'm getting on social media and on the TV going, hey, this case has just happened. If you found yourself in the same position, come talk to me right now. I'd be doing those like no win, no fee things. And I would be making bank because I want to get in before all these big companies go bust. I want to get the money up front. Well, we've also got the case, the um, Dr. Melissa... Melissa McCann, uh, yep. The COVID, McCann case. COVID vaccine class action. The class action. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, she has said everything that we've discussed. She's all over it. She's got a really, really strong technical background. Yeah. We know they didn't know. That's right. And that's why you have to give the individual a choice. Yes. And that was taken away. And... If you punch yourself in the face, if you said that losing your job is the choice, yeah. punch yourself in the face. That's right. Think about how crazy that sounds. Yeah. If that was the case, imagine the precedent. There would be like imagine, oh, like, uh, uh, are we, is that same sexual harassment? Oh, you have a choice. Like, yeah. stay there and continue to get sexually harassed. Yeah. Or, or, or quit. Or, or leave. That's right. Yeah. That was your choice. It's yeah, yeah. crazy to to think that that's an excuse. That's yeah. that's crazy. But I do hear it. And that's like in real life, not just people saying it, like like saying it on the TV or whatever, mm. but people were programmed to think, oh yeah, everyone had a choice. Well, no, they didn't. That's right. And it would never fly with anything else. No, like like you said, the sexual harassment one's a really good example because that happens in workplaces all over the country. And, you know, we've, in the last five to 10 years, you've had this massive movement of like my body, my choice, like... Uh, probably driven by feminism and maybe rightfully so because you know a lot of their their choices weren't their choices so now they've got like you know rights to abortion or rights to you know not be sexually harassed in the workplace and all of those sorts of things which i completely agree with like yeah. it is your body your choice but the it, i mean we've spoken about it a million times the ugliness that was shown by people which 
it during the pandemic that was programmed into them by psychological nudge units yep. and and there's so many studies into this stuff around how by othering a particular group of people what it actually does is it when you when you other someone or a, or a particular group it actually fires off a different part of your brain which triggers your disgust reflex and when you get the disgust reflex triggered you are capable of doing the most disgusting things to those people because you know when you think about things that trigger disgust in you it might be like you know seeing a a a rat inside your house like that triggers disgust and so what's your first thing that you want to do oh let's get rat killer poison like i got to kill that animal so we were programmed into doing that and you saw regular people who were super nice in in normal day-to-day life employing those sort of disgust type principles and completely happy to go i want the unvaccinated to die they should lose their jobs they're putting us in danger and completely forgetting the fact that at the time they were doing all these things they were told that the vaccine was safe and effective and that if you got the vaccine you wouldn't get COVID, you wouldn't transmit it and yet they were still so easy to to influence and convince that someone who wasn't vaccinated was a danger to you even though you were vaccinated like i can't uh, wait to so look J- back jason on this period with my kids jason mentioned nudge unit right yeah. here is one of the nudge units yeah this is this is from the uk the 77th brigade information operations adopting to warfare in the information sorry adapting to warfare in the information age warfare is rapidly evolving and the ability to compete in the information domain is critical we must develop our capabilities and find novel ways of for operating to counter our adversaries do you know who the adversaries were on the internet citizens yeah people like us we were effectively attacked by by uh, 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 an agency like this for saying things and even now, even today on YouTube, any mention of COVID, it will direct you to what the TGA says is the right thing. And they don't fucking know. That's right. They didn't look. Yeah. Yep. Now, you know what? Like, I was going to go to this clip last, but this is actually a really good segue. Can you please bring up the Fauci clip? Because this is, this is really important. And the lesson out of this is... We had an episode a little while ago, which was titled Beware of Media Darlings. And one of the things that we spoke about in that episode was the Brittany Higgins case. And we, we, we're still at a point now where we don't really know what is the real, what actually happened in that case. But the warning we gave at the time was beware of anyone who the media creates into a darling. We also mentioned um, Volodymyr Zelensky in, in that uh, episode as well because the media put him up as this like martyr type figure designed to get you to buy into whatever that person was saying now the biggest media darling of the pandemic was anthony fauci anthony fauci was the one that the media constantly paraded out to and accepted anything that he said in regard to covid origins vaccines demonizing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine the works if there was anyone that they put up in lights around these COVID procedures or lockdowns, it was Anthony Fauci. Now, I want you to play a little bit of this because this clip is from a recent, it was like a six hour deposition of Anthony Fauci. So this was done on the 23rd of November, uh, 2022. So this is that long ago. 
where they, he was asked something like, I don't know, six hours worth of questions or something like that. So this is 2022. You've got to remember the COVID pandemic only kicked off in 2020. So it had only been two years since the kickoff of the pandemic and this interview. And I want you to play his answers to the questions that were posed to him. At all. I don't recall. I do not recall. I, I don't. I don't really recall. I don't recall. Again, I don't recall. I don't recall, but I don't specifically recall. I don't recall. I don't recall this. You know, I don't recall. I don't recall. No, I don't recall. You know, I don't recall. I I don't recall. I I don't really recall. You probably don't need to play anymore. It's uh, can, can I skip forward six minutes to see if it changes? Sure. I don't recall. I might have. I don't recall. No. <laughs> so, so this is six and a, uh, six minutes and fifty seconds. It's a supercut of him just saying, "I don't recall." To I think, I think he said, "I don't recall." Somewhere in the vicinity of one hundred and forty-seven times. Now, this was the person who was put up in lights in front of the entire Western world as the expert who had all the answers on COVID, how to treat it. Uh, you know, vaccine safety, everything. And in a two year He was the science. He was. He literally put himself up there as the science. He literally said, and I quote, an attack on me is an attack on science itself. So this person who He doesn't all, recall the science. He doesn't recall any of it. For some reason, he has got amnesia in a two year period about all of these things that he told you to do. And why is that important? Why are we even talking about Anthony Fauci? Because I want you to keep that in mind the next time a media darling tells you about whatever subject it might be. It might be vaccines. It might be climate change. It might be uh, war propaganda to convince us to go and go to war in Iran, which is what they're trying to do at the moment. Do not believe people who the media puts up in lights and tries to create legitimacy around to sell you on an idea that benefits them. And just use a little bit of logic. You know, we've said it before where you you need, if you can't explain your stance, you probably haven't taken the time to think what the opposing view is. Yeah. And if you, if, if you haven't at least done that, how do you know, like how have you broken that information down in your mind? Or are you just parroting what you'd heard on the TV because that's dangerous it's actually really dangerous absolutely but the, the, I was thinking about this today one of the things I find so concerning about our society is we don't even try to hide the fact that we use popular people to push agendas we literally call them influencers yeah like and we see them as a good thing like oh that guy's an influencer like how yeah. cool is that y'all yeah, listen to what he says what is an influencer an influencer is someone who gets paid to convince you, you yeah to convince you of a certain agenda item that's all it is they're not even trying to hide the fact that that's what these people are doing like they've always done that they've always done it with tv hollywood even radio back in the good old days and I'm sure that there are as many podcasters out there too who, again, they are influencers. Like they are being paid, whether it's to sell advertising or whatever the case may be. But we literally call them influencers and we just swallow that like it's a good thing these days. Going back to the, going back to the um, court case thing, and I know I've mentioned this to you before, but I don't know if you've thought about it more. Mm -hmm. When I mentioned on the show, and this would, this would be a year ago now. So let's say the precedent is set First, all the government agencies go and pay out 
for all the people that they harmed. Then small businesses start to get wrecked because the precedent's been set that an employer has told them to do this. And I'll bet you the employee, I bet you the employees put it in writing too, like idiots. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they thought they were doing the right thing by daddy government. And would, yep. Yeah. So they get all done. What do you th- My theory is that after that wave that goes through, surely there is a case where you can say, well, hold on. You put me at risk. I had to get vaccinated to stay in my job. I was not harmed by it, but you put me at risk mm. for no reason. So you, so these guys that got harmed, surely, if we're doing uh, Nuremberg, Nuremberg, or if it's, um, uh, or if it's purely about compromising safety, mm-hmm. surely there's also a case there to say, well, even though I wasn't injured. You put me in harm's way and you mandated that as part of my employment. Therefore, I have a case. I mean, even just... I think you're right. And even just as simple as psychological distress. Like, people already sue companies every single day for stress and, like, psychological uh, damage or or whatever the actual terminology is. Now, like, let's take a step back with this. The hardest thing about every single one of these cases for the individuals who have been vaccine harmed is going to be getting doctors to give you the supporting evidence to take forward to your claim. That's going to be the most difficult thing. Now, that has become slightly easier ever since APRA updated their terms and conditions for doctors and basically have taken the gag order off them. What I would suggest for any of you who are listening who... And hey, big massive caveat on this. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a guy who talks on the internet. So, like... You're get... a landscaper also, don't forget that. Yeah, that's right. And we know how that turned out last time. I'm still standing. Um, so, that is the massive caveat. But this is what I would say. If you have a long-term doctor and after speaking with that doctor during the pandemic, they convinced you to get vaccinated and you got an injury... I would not bother going back to that doctor trying to get the medical evidence around that injury because they may be liable for a violation of informed consent. So they won't give you the evidence that you need. You need to go and see someone else. But you need to have like your medical history and documentation of, okay, this happened when and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like you need to get your ducks in a row. But I wouldn't bother going back to the same doctor who inflicted the harm on you in the first place because... They're not going to rat themselves out. That's right. People people don't do that. And I don't think it's just small business owners sweating bullets now. I think it's doctors too, because they know that this tide is starting to shift. And there were plenty of doctors who did the right thing, spoke out early, and got their licenses removed from them. And like credit credit to those people, credit to them. Um, If they're able to get their licenses back, that's who I would go to, because they're the ones who are actually going to get you the evidence and try to uh, do the right things. But one one comment I want to say on this, and... This might sound bad, but I think I agree with what you said before. We are not going to see accountability from the people that we really want accountability from. We're not going to get it from the politicians, the medical bureaucrats, John Skerritt, the head of the TGA who approved these things. None of those people are going to get any of the comeuppance that they deserve. Yep. Unfortunately, the people who are going to cop it the hardest are going to be the small businesses who did this to people because... They don't have the resources to hire the big lawyers to do, at the very least, decrease the settlement amounts that they owe their staff. I don't think 
that insurance companies are going to cover any of these things because at the end of the day it's kind of like um you know if you try to put an insurance claim on your house for example and they can show that you've committed fraud in the process of putting this claim in they just won't pay the claim out Mm -hmm. if you if the the insurance company goes yeah okay cool so how medically qualified were you to force your staff member to go and take an experimental medication yeah we ain't covering this so you mean at bunnings you mean to get your yeah in the bunnings Bunnings car park park. that's right with but don't forget safe and effective because the onions were below the sausage yeah because we're not crazy people that's right yeah we don't want people we're not reckless um so i think a lot of small to medium-sized businesses are going to feel feel the pain the most from this and unfortunately i think that's the best thing for society yeah me too because look this is what what we learned during the pandemic the vast majority of people are just npcs who just go about their business day after day, not knowing that the vast majority of the decisions that they make were already put in their minds for them by someone else. And they will only change their behaviors and actually switch on and pay attention when forced to. So when push comes uh, to shove. awakened. That's right. When something bad happens. Just on that that note of saying that, like the NPC thing, if you wanted to see this in action, go and watch anything from Darren Brown on YouTube. Mm. I think it's D-I-R-R-E-N. No, it's D-E-R-R-Y-N, I think. Yeah, Darren Brown, he's this, uh, what would you call him? He's a performer, magician slash, uh, he called like a psychic medium, but but, uh, he, but he, he debunks it. Mm. and go and watch what he does to people and he's got some great actually I think he's got some Netflix specials go and will try to find his special his called The Push oh yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. that, that's the one that is most most closely mirrors what we experienced during the pandemic it yeah. is fascinating so yeah that's some uh, homework that you guys can do go and, go and watch The Push but yeah I getting back to the point I unfortunately think that we need enough people to feel the pain to make sure that when the government tries to do something like this in the future, they go, no, 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 no. I remember what happened last time. I'm not falling for this again. Because it's not the key decision makers that we're not going to get the accountability from that actually matter. As we said during the pandemic, all of the lockdowns, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, etc., that only stopped when enough people said no. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. And in a democracy, that Lisa, we pretend that we are a, a liberal democracy, like the people power is what matters. So unfortunately, we kind of need enough people who made the wrong decision to feel the pain in society enough so that when put in the same position again, because it will happen, totally. I guarantee you it will happen. They... It's going to be cyber attack. We know. We know what it's going to be. They've told us. They told us about this one. Yeah. We know the next one is going to be, they're going to cut you off. You're not going to have access to your banks. The power's going to go off. Yeah, so you won't Victoria be able to charge your electric houses. car. You're not going yeah, to be Victoria, able to... Yeah, gas Victoria stoves. houses don't have gas stoves anymore, so yep. you're not going to be able to cook. And what are you going to do? You're going to go to daddy's state again. You're going, to, you're going to hold your hand out. So can you please help me? And they're going to go, ah, well, yeah, you've got to do this, 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 and this. That's you know right. that's coming. Exactly. All right, can we move on to the next clip? So again, something interesting that's going on at the moment is we are currently having the Senate hearings to create the terms of reference for the COVID pandemic Royal Commission, which is the most important thing that we need to have. Because as we we spoke about a few months ago, Albanese, when he campaigned for prime minister, he promised a Royal Commission. And then he recently uh, announced a complete whitewash inquiry 
that was uh, not focused at all on the actions of the states, which are the ones who enforced everything. Oh, yeah, 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 nah, yeah, nah, yeah, nah. Exactly. So so we're, we need a Royal Commission, and this is uh, some clips from the hearings from some experts in regards to uh, the pandemic itself. So can you go to the other one first? Sorry, there's, there's two I gave you. Here we go. So this is a small clip from a, a gentleman, a Professor Ian Ernest Brighthope, uh, who is the Director of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine at the National Institute of Integrative Medicine and co-founder of the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine. Clearly a cooker. So if you can just go hmm. to the clip, please, Alex. Just the clip. Ernest Brighthope, I graduated in medicine and surgery from Monash University in 1974. In 1982, I co-founded the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine. I remained as president for the next 26 years. The college has continued to train medical practitioners in nutritional and environmental medicine to fellowship standard. For the Oh, nutrition? Yeah. That's never helped anyone. That's right. Past 39 years. I'm currently the Director of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine at the National Institute of Integrative Medicine. Senator, a virus that had an infection fatality rate no worse than a severe influenza season was announced to the world in late 2019. My colleagues and I immediately recommended the routine supplementation of vitamin C, D and the mineral zinc for maximising the functionality of the immune system. When the Prime Minister of the time announced it was a pandemic, a press release detailing the importance of going into an epidemic with a population optimised with these nutrients was distributed. I also wrote to the Prime Minister, the Health Minister, the Chief Medical Officer, the Presidents of the AMA and the RACGP and other authorities on numerous occasions to recommend that all doctors ensure that they tested and treated their patients for vitamin D insufficiency and deficiency, the most powerful protective mechanism we have. Studies have shown that vitamin D prevents coronavirus infections, prevents the complications and prevents death from viruses that cause severe acute respiratory infections. Vitamin D has been successfully used in COVID. Also zinc is a known antiviral and essential for the optimal production of antibodies and T cells. It has been successfully used in COVID with of course, good scientific evidence. The final nutrient vitamin C is antiviral and immune stimulant and the most powerful antioxidant for severely ill patients. It is used intravenously to prevent clinical deterioration, reduce hospitalization rates, treat complications in hospitalized patients and wean patients off ventilators, thus reducing hospital stays. We also recommended the proven repurposed medicines, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin for early treatment. However, these were not applied in Australia. However, after many letters to- But they were applied in Uttar Pradesh in India. That's right. And we heard about the once burning bodies in the river. And then the next day, why are we not talking about it anymore? That's right. Because they, they, their case rate, oh, their case rate was up and their death rate went to almost zero and they've got 220 million people. Mm -hmm. The authorities, publications in the media and Zoom meetings with various ministers, my calls for prevention and early treatment were not acted upon. Had a proper CD zinc campaign with known safe and effective repurposed medicines been established, the Australian population would have achieved natural herd immunity safely, the most powerful and long-lasting protection achievable. Instead, the authorities panicked, created chaos and fear, and damaged the very essence of our society and culture. Other serious issues are the coercion to vaccinate, which continues to date, the lack of informed consent, the attacks on doctors and healthcare workers who spoke out, the very high levels of vaccination injuries and deaths, and in particular, the vaccine-induced deaths of Australian children. 
all powerful reasons for a, uh, a broad-based royal commission. Thank you, Senator. Uh, Damn. So, Damn. that's clip number one. Now, I was going to write a list. It, it's funny, before I even saw that clip, uh, I wanted to speak about all these matters on the show this week. And I was going to write a list of all the things that we got strikes or bans from YouTube for saying during the pandemic and how they've turned out. I didn't bother because most of them are in that clip. Yeah, totally. Now, this is a story too, which most people don't know about, and I really think they should. Who should have been the hero of the pandemic in Australia? Do you remember? Who should have been? Mm -hmm. Early days. Yeah. Who, who literally should have been put up in lights as the hero of the pandemic in Australia? Coatsworth. Nope. No, I don't, I don't know. Clive Palmer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So as you heard that professor just talk about, what did he say? Um, basically, COVID was no worse than a bad flu season. Uh, early treatment and optimization of your immune system was the number one most important factor with those vitamins D, C, and zinc. And we should have used repurposed safe medicines such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Now... I remember in April 2020, there was a study done in an Australian university, can't remember which one, that showed that ivermectin killed COVID cells in a test tube. And that was widely was reported. Yeah, it might have been Monash. It was widely reported, and then it was basically demonized almost immediately. But when that It was happened, on the news. They talked about it on the news. That's right. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've played clips before from like Nine yeah. News talking about it. So when that happened, Clive Palmer actually looked into the research agreed with it and he sent people out all over the world trying to uh trying to secure, secure stockpiles of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and he did that and imported it into the country and the tga held it up at the docks and incinerated all of it so what that professor just said was if you gave if you made everyone optimize their immune systems with vitamin d uh, vitamin c and zinc and then anyone who got really ill, you had a treatment plan involving those two repurposed medicines, we would have gotten to natural immunity safely without any need for lockdowns, mask wearing, uh, and vaccines. Now, just on that, when people will push back and say that those things are a conspiracy, because that's what they're told to think, mm -hmm. the best way to come back at them is go, oh, what is the protocol then for when you get COVID? That's right. So what was the government issue? Like, what, what was the medical protocol for when you had COVID? What uh, was it? It was stay at home and take Panadol to deal with the pain and wait until you can't breathe properly and then go to a hospital. There was no protocol. Yeah. yeah. There was no product. So we did nothing about the uh, treatment of COVID. We yeah. had zero treatment of COVID-19 in Australia. That's right. I think up until... Um, what was the one that was killing people uh, very late? Um, the the vaccine. Uh, no, you, that and um, <laughs> shit. What was the other one? The Delta. Uh, no, 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 no. The the treat. There was a treatment. Oh, um, remdesivir. Remdesivir. Yeah, but rem remdesivir. You from having it for a moment, and then as soon as you went off the remdesivir, you got it back worse than it was before. Yeah, you got you had... uh, oh Paxlovid. Sorry, you're talking about. And remdesivir. Well, remdesivir was the one that they would give you when you were put on a ventilator in a hospital, which caused you to drown because 
your it it affects your kidney function and they hook you up to an iv bag and so your body is not able to remove the water from itself and the ventilator pushes the water into your lungs and people were drowning um it was paxlovid which was pfizer's brand new drug that they brought out which is like a thousand dollars a dose that you you felt better and then you had a thing called covid rebound which meant as soon as you went off the drug you got covid again so I think all that Paxlovid did was mask the symptoms for a week and then you got sick again. <laughs> and it probably had like a little bit of cocaine in it to make you feel really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so, so big point out of that. Every single thing that he said, if you said that on YouTube or social media during the pandemic, just like we did, you would have been banned, shadow banned, kicked off, had all your content deleted, which is what YouTube threatened to do to us. Now, that was a gentleman who's got 39 years experience in the medical field and has all the credentials in the world. He's the sort of person that should have been platformed and put up in lights instead of Anthony Fauci. And yet... I'm not saying we should we, we should have done all of the things. Like, exactly. if, if you didn't know, everything should have been on the table. Yep. Everything. To the removal of stuff, that's the right. re- recommendations from doctors, yeah. that's and and the most heinous thing was particularly and this was the biggest red flag for us early on was the fact that when they're reporting worldwide millions and millions of cases of this brand new disease which was going to kill everyone and you had the videos from china of people falling down in the street and the first talk was about getting a vaccine out instead of talking about early treatment that was the yep. number one red flag for us early on you said it you you said it in the early days you're yeah. like oh so just fuck everyone that's got it yeah we're just gonna okay, write so off all those it. people who've already got it don't yeah, even yeah. bother trying to fe- try and treat them let's just go and try to get a vaccine down which at the time we were like that'll take four or five years yeah right yeah now yeah. can you go to the second clip please now this one's a little bit longer so you can choose to shut it off whenever you feel like it's about six minutes long so this is a gentleman who um uh, his name is Julian Gillespie, I believe. He's a lawyer and former ba- barrister, as it. Lawyer and former barrister. <clears throat> this Royal Commission is necessary because evidence and data have shown that SARS-CoV-2 could not be considered an existential threat to the vast majority of people, particularly those under 80 and healthy working age individuals, especially. He said under 80, as in yeah. eight. Zero. Yeah. Not um, 18. The eight, male life expectancy zero. in Australia is 82. Do, do you remember early days of COVID, the death rate for COVID was a year older or the average death rate? Yeah, was, was higher than the, yeah, the, um, what, what's the term? The me, I, like the median, the median male death rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early treatment and repurposed drugs had been implemented. Transparency is needed regarding recommendations by the Australian Health Protection Principal Committee, the AHPPC, to the National Cabinet. A Royal Commission must scrutinise the evidence used by the Chief Medical Officer, Brendan Murphy, and the State Chief Health Officers to advise the National Committee on the public health response to COVID-19. Lockdowns and mandate recommendations that had been explicitly advised against months before the declaration of pandemic were nonetheless recommended by the AHPPC to the National Cabinet, despite a multitude of scientific studies speaking against those recommendations, as evidenced and shown in the WHO's own 2019 document, quote... I'm just going to pause right there. I just got some interesting news. Uh, I just got a meeting with a billionaire. Ooh. 
<laughs> Bill Gates? So, no, no, no. A cool one. A crypto one. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Congratulations. Non-pharmaceutical public health measures for mitigating the risk and impact of ec- epidemic and pandemic influenza and Australia's own health management plan for pandemic influenza. Australia's plan for pandemic influenza had only just been reconfirmed by all Australian health ministers, chief health officers, and the CMO, Brendan Murphy, in August 2019. Yet it was completely ignored. In- I, I really want people to reiterate, because again, I know that some of these audio clips are a little bit long and some people sort of, I guess, lean in and out of them. I want to reiterate that because that's something that everyone forgets as well. The Australian health uh, chief health officers and the um, the federal health officer Brendan Murphy had only in August 2019 reapproved their pandemic plan based on influenza, and in that plan, all of the things that were mandated, i.e., lockdowns, mask wearing, etc., were not in it. So they reconfirmed that in August 2019. And then as soon as COVID kicked off in early 2020, that plan got completely thrown out the window and replaced with what we experienced. So that's a key point. If you could continue. In early 2020, the influence of the WHO and its international health regulations on Australian domestic health policy requires review. Where was the science for recommending lockdowns, masks on young and old, for closing schools, separating families, and censorship and punishment for Australians who questioned what they were experiencing and being asked to do. This requires a Royal Commission to explain. Further, the use of fear-based psychological behaviour management nudge units by Australian governments to support a government campaign of intimidation and oppression to increase compliance. Now, just just if there's people that are listening to this that, ha- that aren't like a new people to the show, welcome. Follow us on Rumble. Smash that like um, button. Yeah. Uh, now, we know that these nudge units existed because they were the ones that set, that got pulled in front of the Senate and were, were forced to say, oh, we didn't ban anyone on social media. We would just send a letter to the social media companies and say, don't you think this person's in breach of your terms and service? Mm. Right, so so th- they did exist. So it sounds, I don't like people might think it sounds super conspir- uh, conspiratorial. This happened, like yeah, this yeah. stuff actually happened. We we covered on the show. Needs analysis. Yeah, we literally had um, we had an episode titled like nudge units. I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, I actually think that might have been one of the ones that got banned off YouTube, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but I'm not, yeah, not yeah, too yeah. sure, but yeah, like essentially the government hired psychologists to tell them how to psychologically influence us to do what we were told they're called nudge units and they've been employed around the world well before covid yeah an explanation we were told to protect our public health system to stay away from our hospitals yet our hospitals are meant to be open to protect and aid us this absurd denial of services resulted Sorry, I'm going to keep pausing it because I want you to because I think we should. Yeah, yeah. It brings up so many memories, right? So he just said they wanted to keep you away from hospitals. Remember the vaccine hubs that they built and people were lining up for seven to ten hours to get no, that was testing facilities. Yeah, yeah. And remember, there was people who say like people were defecating in our lawns because they didn't have toilets set up. Yep. 
Like, that's how crazy it was. Don't forget. Don't forget that that happened. Dude, I, You might have been in one of those lines. Well, before you move on, like, I had two kids during the pandemic. I was constantly denied medical care for my children because they had respiratory-like illnesses. Yeah. We literally were told, like, by doctors, you cannot come to our clinic because they've got respiratory uh, symptoms and they therefore might make us sick. Children, infants... Like people less than a year old. So yeah. this is particularly uh, relevant to me because I ended up spending a lot of our time at the, like in the emergency unit at the hospital because it's literally the only place on the Gold Coast you could go to to get an infant seen without a, a, um, a PCR test. Yeah, Wild. Yeah. Don't forget. Do not forget. That in serious health consequences with hundreds of thousands of missed appointments, delayed diagnosis of serious disease, delayed surgery and an array of mental health effects. Were these restrictions ever risk assessed or reviewed for the cost and benefits? The, the risk assessment stuff, I hear some of these crazy stories that these count like government workers have to go through for risk assessment. If you want to have a Christmas party, you need to have a, a yeah. risk assessment done and make sure, oh, what, hell are what if somebody slips over? And, oh, do they have to wear high vis? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> The often repeated statements by the Prime Minister, Premiers, Health Ministers, CMOs and CHOs and medical associations that the vaccines were safe and effective was blatantly false and there was never evidence and data to support such a claim. It was misleading, deceptive conduct and was grossly, <coughs> which grossly undermined public trust. Another example was the oft-repeated statements that lockdowns would ensure we could return to normal after two weeks to flatten the curve. Weeks turned into months. Remember the memes? The flattened? Oh, yeah, flattened. Straight up. Yeah. <laughs> State and territory governments acted arbitrarily and ad hoc. Lockdowns and mandates never occurred as a whole-of-government response. Again, misleading and deceptive conduct that has grossly undermined public trust. I'd love to do a Michael Gunner impersonation. <laughs> that lunatic. What was the line? If you are anti-vax, then you are... No, if you are anti-mandate, then you are anti-vax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a thorough, transparent, full disclosure and access to raw data analysis of the GMO vaccines provisionally approved in this country is vitally important as they fulfil the legal definitions for being properly called GMOs or genetically modified organisms. AstraZeneca had genetically modified organism printed clearly on its product information. As for Pfizer and Moderna, nothing. A Royal Commission needs to understand why Pfizer and Moderna were not required to obtain GMO license licenses after strict, stringent risk assessment. We know why. Because I wouldn't have sold as many, that's why. Yeah, but that, that's and a big key point because we, I think we covered this on the show a few weeks ago, we have a um, like a gene uh, what's it called like a it's like the office of gene technology regulator or something like that and they were questioned uh, in in the senate I think it was by maybe Jared, either Jared Rennick or Malcolm Turnbull as to why even though Pfizer themselves have said that their vaccines qualify as a genetically modified organism why the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator did not do their own testing on the vaccines themselves. And because they're imported. Yeah, they're her imported. answer was, oh, it's because they're manufactured overseas. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, so they don't have to. By the eyes of their law, we don't get to check the stuff that's here. Import, don't worry about it. Exactly, don't worry about exactly. It. Now, I've just sent you another resource too, by the way, I've if you want to try. Yeah, perfect, yeah. perfect. But like, let, let's continue playing this. G- genetically modified overseas. That's what GM <laughs> Involving public consultation as required by law, particularly in circumstances where Australia's gene technology regulator Raj Bula admitted in a Senate select hearing on 26 October 2023, the Pfizer and Moderna drugs are GMOs. In addition, the Pfizer and Moderna drugs have been found on three different continents in five different nations by six different labs to be grossly contaminated with synthetic DNA, with a means for entering the cell. Do you know what wilds me out about? So we covered that part as well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the DNA part is the hardest part, and yet that seems to be what they squirted into the mix when they were short on whatever the synthetic version was. Like, it just, it seems crazy to me. They're like, oh, we're just nuts and DNA. Get some DNA into it. Well, it wasn't even that. It was the fact that, like, none none of these contaminants were filtered out beforehand and he goes on to talk about it so i won't step all over what he's okay. going to say but on nucleus and changing our human chromosomal dna and integrating with our human chromosomal dna beyond this dna contamination and the untested process to manufacturing process used by pfizer to create the drug product rolled out to australians increases the risk of endotoxin contamination which continues to be inadequately tested for by the TGA. Can you pause? The consequences of this could be dire. I just, I just want to reiterate for people, like especially for audio listeners, this is not a guest on Infowars with Alex Jones, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Like every single Josh, thing, <laughs> every single thing that these people are saying, like you would have been laughed out of the room as a conspiracy theorist in 2020 or 2021. But this is the Senate Legal and Constitutional Affairs References Committee. This is happening in Australian Senate like sittings right now. So this is not Infowars. I just want to repeat that. It's not Infowars. Please continue. If they have not already been dire. These gene therapy GMOs Australians were effectively coerced to take are not just grossly and dangerously contaminated with foreign DNA, they've also been found to produce mutated and unknown forms of proteins due to, quote, frame shifting that should never have been allowed to occur in human. If they said it had like 30 grams of protein or 35 grams of protein per shot, I would have got them. particularly when Australians were told these experimental substances would only produce synthetic spike protein. Yet Australians were told without any factual basis, these injectables were safe and effective. The harms of these unscientific measures can be seen for the TGA's adverse event reporting system presently recording adverse events in the hundreds of thousands, reports of COVID-19 vaccine deaths in the thousands and in the non-COVID related excess death Australia is witnessing now running into the tens of thousands. It does seem that our political and medical regulatory authorities and our medical and scientific colleges and associations are ignoring all the warning signs, the decades of scientific literature and the real data being sent to them by conscientious academics, scientists and health professionals across the country. Australian has no choice now but to empower the most historic Royal Commission ever seen 
to not only provide answers about our research. This was not a great way to word it because they're, they're talking to government officials who will be shitting themselves. Yeah, yeah. In past, but to acknowledge and prepare for the adverse health impacts likely to remain with Australians for generations to come. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Mr. Gillespie. Damn. Uh, I, I'm actually, I'm feeling vindicated more than ever. Like this, these yeah. kinds of things... Uh, we're talking about the stuff that well, what we've been talking about for years now yeah. is starting to come out and the right people are starting to hear it, the right actions are starting to hear it. There's still a lot of work to go, but... Yeah, absolutely. And look, one of the biggest things that I want to take out of this is if you're one of those people who self-censored during the pandemic, don't self-censor next time. Have the conversations, have the difficult conversations with the people mm. around you because, like... Anyone who was red pill like us during the pandemic who were like, we took the risk and, you know, we felt it in our personal lives. It caused friction in families, friendship groups. We lost friends for saying these things. I didn't lose any friends. Yeah, I did. I did. But I didn't lose any, uh, only because I'm, I'm easier than you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I extended the hand and like, I understand that you got done. $120 million paid by the government to media organisations for the biggest hoax in history. I get it. I'm with you. I try to give them that understanding, but then when you try to bring data, they're not interested. And I just go... Yeah. <clears throat> um, but, but yeah, the whole point is, like, every single time this stuff happens, people go, will never happen again. Like, thalidomide happened and everyone went, never again. And, like... You know, weapons of mass destruction to get us into the war on terror happened, and then everyone went, never again. And, like, look at our world today. We've just injected the whole population of the world almost with an experimental gene modification uh, that's got shit in it. <laughs> yeah. And we're now starting World War Three. Like, it will happen again. Absolutely. And the thing that you can do as a listener and a member of the community is when you see these things coming a mile away, have the difficult conversation that does fly in the face of what the mainstream media is, is saying. And all I want, want you to say is stuff like this. Hey, I understand that you feel really strongly about this matter that, um, that you have been consuming information about on the mainstream media. All I wish to alert you of is the fact that, number one, you may not have all the facts. Number two, the people and the networks which are convincing you of your position do not have a good track record for telling the truth. They have been proven wrong many, many, many times in the past. So before you jump in with two feet, maybe just test the water a little bit. Maybe just have an open mind to the fact that your thoughts on the matter may evolve over time. And don't back yourself into a corner where you, you become so tied to your position on this subject that you will be forced to defend it to the death, even yeah. when you know you're wrong. One, two, three. It's usually a four to five year cycle when people really figure it out. I try to say it like this. I'm like, have you have you looked any deeper than the than what you've just received in your normal everyday? Like, yeah. have you looked one level deeper? Have yeah. you done one search? Have you read one any of the reports? Have you and not have you not listened to the VK Bros talk stuff. about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow us on Rumble. Um, have you have you gone so so when someone quotes something have you checked to see if that's real 
and have you read it for yourself as opposed to hearing someone's interpretation? Ours included. Yeah. Ours included. If that answer's no, before you start to fight for your position, I suggest you go back and check. Absolutely. So I'm not going to give you any information. You go on. You go and check first. Yeah. Because I like it. It may change. Now, if it doesn't change, let's have a conversation. That's right. Absolutely. And but the key is, let's have the conversation and like let's have it civilly and. Don't sure. get upset just because I may bring some data that doesn't fit with the narrative that you got in your head. Maybe you should read the data and see what you think. What does that yep. data tell you? Right? Now, just to finish up, because we are going on a little bit long, I want you to bring up the last resource I sent you because it's completely relevant to uh, the presentations that we have just heard. So this is a website called Our World in Data. And they have been mapping things like excess mortality. Can you just uh, zoom in slightly on that? Because it's a little bit difficult to read. So this is the excess death. So excess mortality deaths from all causes compared to the average over previous years. So which is the percentage difference between the reported number of weekly or monthly deaths in 2020 to 2024 and the average number of deaths in the same period over the years 2015 to 2019. And so what I want you to know, where are we at now? So at the end of it, where it drops right back down to zero, I believe it's because they don't have the most up-to-date data. Like I think they've only got data up until uh, looks like September. September 24, 2023. Now we are still hovering at around that sort of five to 10% uh, excess death rate at the moment. So these are, remember, excess deaths of all causes over and above the average of a similar period. Look at where the excess deaths spike the most. They spike the most between September 2021 and March 31, 2022. What is the most significant thing about that period of time, Alex? La Nina. <laughs> and to give you an idea especially for audio listeners they basically go to so in the right in the middle of that time period i just told you they go up over 30 percent. it's probably 35 percent on it's 37 percent. so in january 23rd 2022 we spiked to a 37 percent excess death rate now let me just put that into numbers for you in australia every single year we have roughly 155 to 160,000 people who will die of all causes every single year so if you have a 10% excess death rate, that's 15,000 people in our country who die over and above what we would expect. If you have a 37% death rate, round it up to 40 to make the maths easy, that's 60,000 people extra died in that period of time over and above what we would normally expect. Well, is that the MCG, MCG capacity? No, that's about 80,000. It's Suncorp Stadium. It's it's Suncorp Stadium filled for a state of origin. That amount of people extra died over and above what should have died in that period of time. Now, the most interesting part about the excess death rate, particularly in Australia, is that it spiked in 2021 when there were states in the country that didn't even have COVID yet, i.e. Yeah. Western Australia. Western Australia, we've spoken about it before, they were our canary in the coal mine because they did not have COVID cases in Western Australia until 2022 because they were the hermit kingdom. They were completely locked, uh, locked down. You could not enter and leave that country, uh, that state, sorry, during 
2021 because they wanted to have everyone triple dosed vaccinated before you're allowed in and out. Look what I just put up. Wow. Okay, so... You can um, explain uh, this bit. Okay, so very early days, the country that was showing off the most about their vaccine status was Gibraltar. Now, Gibraltar is a British colony off the coast of Spain. Well, uh, borders Spain. Uh, great haven for online gambling, by the way, <laughs> Gibraltar. Now, they they were like at 110% when we were like passing 60%. You mean vaccinated, and not excess deaths. Vaccinated, yeah, yeah. vaccinated, vaccinated. And the reason why they were over 100% was because they have a lot of workers from other countries that come and work in the country that were also forced to get vaccinated. So that's why it was over and above the total number of citizens they had. Now, we, we had said... Uh, Jason and I had said we want to keep an eye on Gibraltar to see what the excess death rates like and what their COVID cases were like because their COVID cases spiked their COVID cases looked exactly the same as ours yeah. and we were at like 60% when they were at 110% yeah. so we're like oh okay so it's not really there's no correlation between those two um, but we haven't been able to find any excess death data yeah. but this, this graph actually shows an excess death number from uh now they were now they have a small population. The population is like thirty or forty thousand people yeah. in Gibraltar. It's very low. So twenty twenty they were forty three percent under. Yeah. Right. Then they then they jumped up to twenty nine percent over in July thirty first twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Then they sort of hovered back around zero zero. So that's fine. That's fine. Spiked a bit, twelve percent. Uh, then spiked up to thirty-three percent in November 30, 2020. Yep. So the COVID's like very prevalent by this time. It, overseas, rip, it was. Yeah. Ripping through um, uh, Europe. Yeah. Then it drops down to minus forty-one percent. Now, again, because it's a small population, these can swing pretty of quickly. Like, pretty, yeah, but not like this because the next number in January thirty-first, twenty twenty-one. The number is 183% excess death rate, and then there's no data after that. Yeah. What do you reckon that figure's going to do, Jase? Well, I mean, are there any population left in the country? Yeah. Has anyone checked on Gibraltar? Has <laughs> yeah. anyone checked on Gibraltar? Is there some free yeah. land over there that we can go and stick our flag in? <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's wild. It's wild. And that's the thing, like if you, again, if like it's it's harder when you got Gibraltar there, but if you look at it, the Australian excess death spiked in 2021, which coincided with the vaccine rollout. And what was interesting is we, we had a whole show where we spoke about this when we talked about those Western Australian figures, they released the um, death rate numbers from 2021 and Western Australia experienced the same level of excess deaths as everywhere else in the country during 2021 before they had a single COVID case in the state. So what else happened in 2021 that could have caused an excess death rate like that? The this only is what thing say. is the vaccine. This is what they'll say. I'll, I'll try and strong arm the uh, steel man, the, the, what the politicians are going to say. Yeah. We opened up then because we had a high level of vaccination. So we started to let people back into the community. And if we remember the first place that opened up was Sydney, because I think uh, who was in... was. Um, uh, Peritay was he? Yep. Was Peritay in by then? Yep. And he was like, "Okay, we, we need to get back to business, right? Let's open up." So vaccinated people were allowed out. Remember the gym day one 
yeah. of opening up had a COVID wave go through it and they were supposed to be all vaccinated. That's right. So they're going to say that, oh, it's because we opened up. We but, no, no, no. But Western Australia up. can't say that because they that's weren't true. open. Yeah, they were, yeah. So the excess death rate in Western Australia mirrored every other state in the country during the whole of 2021 when they did not have a single COVID case until the next year. That's what's so significant about Western Australia. What caused the excess deaths in 2021? The only difference is the vaccine. That's it. No, I'll tell you what they'll say. So ask me the question. Ask me. So I'm a politician. Yep. And you're the Royal Commission. Yep. Ask me. Sir, so um, we noticed that during 2021, when you were locked down from the rest of the country and the world, that Western Australia experienced a similar level of excess deaths as the rest of the country, even though it didn't have a single COVID case. What reason have you got to justify the excess death rate? Yeah, it was not COVID. <laughs> yeah. It definitely, it, it, it like, I understand we had no COVID. That's how you can tell it wasn't that. This is what, it, no, like, no, 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 this is what the real it wasn't, would be. It wasn't not COVID. This is what it would really be. Uh, look, we, we're not 100% sure of what the reason is, but it's definitely not the vaccines. Yeah. That's yeah, what they'll say. Yeah, yeah. It, it could literally be anything except the vaccines. Yeah, yeah, Why? exactly. Because the people that have given me a massive brown paper bag have told me to say so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just to wrap things up, guys, uh, we will continue to follow these Senate hearings about the terms of reference for the COVID Royal Commission. It is the Royal Commission that the country needs to have. Uh, before we can rebuild trust in any institution, you need to have a complete transparent Royal Commission with the powers to actually come in, get all the information, get everything out of National Cabinet, which is still uh, yeah. exempt from Fuck freedom of information elbow. requests. Um, actually, one last point that I'm going to finish on before we go, because I heard this on a podcast recently with uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., there's a, and I, I don't remember the exact case that you can talk about, but there was a meeting about, like, so the CDC members in America had a meeting about the rise of autism mirroring the rise of the amount of vaccines on the childhood vaccination schedule in America. And the CDC held this meeting off-site at, a, like, a hotel or something like that, because with the way the Freedom of Information uh, Act works in the United States, you can only request details from a meeting held in a government building. So they literally held this meeting uh, off-site because they knew point. the information wasn't going to be good. Yeah. And so they knew if we hold it off-site, no one can ever request that information. Wow. Wild, hey? Yeah. Anyway, on that note, let's leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. We will see you next week.